All right, y'all. Welcome. Know Your Roles. Back for another week. We got a fun episode today. We have our very first guest, filmmaker Brett Haley. It's going to be joining us for a fun little thing with George and I. That's coming up. But first, we're going to do some bar talk. George, what's on your bar? We are bartenders, and we might as well go ahead and address this. New York City is going to try to open up in some capacity by September 30th, which is 25% of your, your full capacity. I've, we've talked about this before. Cuomo and de Blasio have been kind of just shipper brains one and shipper brains two the past like six months. I'm not a, a fan of anything like this, but moving forward, if they feel that we are able to do this and I'm on board, I do worry about some of the businesses that are able to, to do all the things that they want, like being able to take a temperature beforehand. If you're going to be in an establishment, make sure there's people, make sure you have like a uh, contact list and stuff like that. If they're doing this, I want everybody to be safe and I want people to do this right. So September 30th is going to be here very soon. It's in two weeks. So I guess it's like when I'm, what's in my bar right now, because as somebody who's a bartender, that's going to be something I'm going to have to deal with the next few weeks. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation. I mean, I think though, I would say kind of what I said before, which is that I still think it's a fluid situation. I mean, they've certainly set the 30th and, and anyone who's working or, or, owns an establishment, you certainly have to be preparing that. But you said Cuomo and de Blasio have been terrible and they have been. And it's a lot of their strategy for the same for the schools and the same for restaurants is that they spend all this time not making any plans. And then they throw some scraps and they say, this is what you can do. This is what you can't. And this is when you can do it by. And it's like immediate and places have to scramble and figure out what they have to do. And then the benchmarks keep changing and the guidelines keep changing. And then they have to go in and you know, execute their business plan in, in a certain way. And that's allowed the city government to then penalize them for doing it the way that they didn't say, you know, and so the misinformation and the, and the miscommunication, and it's just all been very, very troubling. And, and, you know, this reopening is, is still very daunting. And just today, schools were supposed to start in building learning on Monday, and they have announced that they pushed that back another week, which again, this is terrible, stupid government bullshit, which like another week doesn't do anything. What they need to do is commit to fully remote for like the whole fucking semester or, you know, until 2021 and, you know, bars and restaurants. I mean, I, I don't have the answers. I don't know what they should be doing, but I do know what we should not be doing as a society, which is risking more people's lives. You know, these businesses are going to die, but we need, so the call needs to be not to get by with pennies as far as like a 25% of a business, but they need a federal government package or, or some kind of government package and, you know, rent relief and all these things, you know, because yeah, these, it's a, it's a shitty situation for everybody because, you know, I can't even really be that mad at the business owners who are like, we need to fucking open because they need to survive. And the city right. has told them, you know, just do what you can, but yeah. People's lives are the most important thing. Everything, everything is a numbers game. Actually, somebody texted me this morning. For every hundred thousand people, there's like three cases of COVID, which actually sounds not bad. But if you boil that down to New York City's population and those uh, and that number, you're looking at one out of every two hundred and forty people, give or take. Whether or not you think New York's population is seven or eight million people. Now, when you say it like that, you're like, holy shit. Because well, 240 people could be in the same place. Totally. And the thing is, too, is that, you know, we, we need to remember that when these politicians and anybody says, especially white people like myself, says, well, the numbers aren't that bad or the numbers this, you know, the numbers that those numbers are people's lives. Those numbers are fucking people's lives. And it's not OK to risk anyone's life for commerce, for business, 
You know what I mean? And that's what essentially they're doing. And you're seeing even with the schools, the teachers are pissed and, and they're, they, you know, they, one thing I've heard a refrain, which has really kind of resonated with me, which is that the low infection rate is not a reason to reopen. It's a reason to remain closed, mm-hmm. which makes so much sense. And I think that's the way we need to be framing it because yeah, we have been doing certain things, right? We have, you know, we had, and you know, if you were in New York, it was a really rough time. It was very, very scary. It still is very scary, very disconcerting. I think everyone's health and safety needs to be forefront. And and any calls from government that we need to open businesses are disingenuous. The calls from the business owners, those we all under, we all understand because they need to open to survive, right? But instead of all of our patronage going to those businesses, which again, at 25%, most businesses are still not going to survive. So they need an assistant package. I mean, you know, we can find trillions of dollars for the banks or for the airline industry or for uh, these other powerful lobbies that control sections of government. But yet all these small businesses, which is what the restaurant industry is, are just left and schools, which is insane that we would not care about our children and our staff members and, and our teachers is that, you know, they're just like, we're, we're okay with risking some people's lives. And we, we know that most of those lives are black and brown lives. They're not white people's lives. They're not rich white people. And, you know, so that we, we just all, I think, need to remember that. And, and yes, businesses need to be open, be, need to be surviving. They need to survive, but not at the cost of people's lives. So that's all I would say about that. On my bar, I want to update a couple of things that we talked about a little bit of stories real quickly, but just in case anything that we said was interesting (laughs) in the past few shows. One of the things that I am interested in is Whistleblower, which is this new podcast. And it's all about Tim Donaghy, who I mentioned last week with the 2002 Sacramento Kings, as far as he was a ref who was fixing games. And this podcast is so fucking cool. First of all, it's super well done. Cool. They have people like Michael Imperioli is on it and he does some of the voiceovers of some of the explanation stuff and it's phenomenal. They have actual mafia family members. In addition to Tim Donaghy, they have athletes. I, I was telling George that the series, the first episode starts off with a story by Rashid Wallace, which is fucking awesome. And he's talking about Tim Donaghy and he's talking about a game where he was, Rashid Wallace was known for kind of being very loud and demonstrative and got a bad rap for that in the media and kind of with the refs. But Rashid Wallace contends that it was guys like Donaghy taking an unfair position against him. And he says there was a game in which he got called for a technical foul where he was like nowhere near the play from like the other side of the court, Donaghy called it on him. And he went over to Donaghy and like, as soon as he opened his mouth, Donaghy gave him another technical and kicked him out of the game. And, you know, we've learned years later that Tim Donaghy did things like that in order to influence bets so he could make money. And this podcast goes into it very much. But Rashid Wallace, he, apparently he was in the loading dock after the game. He was, he was at the loading dock hanging out, I guess, waiting for his car, who knows what. And the referees came out of the building. All three referees came out. They walked by him and he looked at Donaghy and he said, you're getting sloppy, man. You can't make it that obvious. And uh, Donaghy guffawed and was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. and uh, like it is. All- Rashid Wallace was like, this fucking guy is cheating. And I know. And then years later, somebody called Rashid Wallace after the story broke and, and was like, you were right. <laughs> and Rashid Wallace was like, I know I was right. And he definitely wasn't the only one. <laughs> so uh, whistleblower, I highly recommend that. 
real quickly, another thing that we mentioned before that I just wanted to mention again, because I thought it was so interesting and fascinating, which is Maya Moore. Maya Moore is former WNBA player who put her career on pause uh, to fight for justice, which is amazing. And I kind of, I said that she was a top 10 player. And honestly, that's doing a great disservice to Maya Moore because she's not a top 10 player. She's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. This woman won two national championships at UConn and she won four championships in the WNBA, four championships. You're talking about one of the greatest players of all time in their prime saying, I'm not going to play this season because this innocent black man is in jail wrongfully. And I want to do whatever I can to fight for his freedom and to get him out of jail. And just as an update, she did get him out of jail. And now they're married. They got married. So Maya Moore gave up her career to free Jonathan Irons, who was wrongfully convicted of a crime, spent decades in jail. And Maya Moore worked the effort to get him out of jail. And now they're married. I just think that's like the most fascinating, interesting. It makes me feel so good inside that something like that happened. <laughs> and yeah, I just wanted to spot like that because I think it's yeah, an no, incredible it's, story. It, and I think it's something people should learn more about. It sounds rad, but I'm for me, who's like a cynic and, and will always be alone. I'm like, didn't you just get out of jail? Now you're getting married. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like, walk some, around for a little bit. <laughs> she got the guy out of jail. Man. I mean, like how much yeah. more like ride or die. And also you're talking about it's Maya Moore, bro. Like, yeah, no, which is great. You want to be a champion. Yeah, no, which, which is awesome. I mean, I'm just saying, that, like, at least, like, see the world for, like, a month. <laughs> you know, when you know, you know, George. When you know, when you know, you know. I guess you do. I mean, I, mean, I would at least, like, never mind. <laughs> I would have been a week. Can we just, like, can I, just, can I just walk around for a week? A week. <laughs> George, George, we both know for you it would have been longer than a week. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been <laughs> It would have been, uh, what year is this, anyway? Yeah. All right, well, I feel good about that for Bar Talk. And we're going to be moving into our main section, which is the who and the what. We're going to be doing it a little bit differently this episode. Since we have our very first guest, we're very excited, filmmaker Brett Haley. He has made several films, amongst which being the film from a couple years ago, Heartbeat Loud with Nick Offerman. Very, very good film. I, I highly recommend it. I laughed and I cried during it. I found it very enjoyable and very meaningful. Nick Offerman, Tony Collette, Ted Danson, Kiersey Clemens, Sasha Lane. It's a great cast. A lot of kind of inside baseball-ish indie music stuff that is cool. And even if you don't know that stuff, which I didn't know some of it, still is, is entertaining and fun. He also did a film with Sam Elliott called The Hero that I highly recommend. That's, that's very good about an aging kind of celebrity star. Nick Offerman is also in that as well. Yeah, he, Brett is a, a very interesting filmmaker. I think somebody that should should be looked at going forward. And he he's going to talk about some of his projects and how he how he works. And yeah, we're going to get into that with him. And then after that, George, you want to explain what we're going to be doing as far as our, our roles today and our comparisons? So we invited Brett on because not only is he a brilliant filmmaker, but he's also, all enough, really in the fantasy football. So our Know Your Roles this week, we did a snake draft in which we drafted current NFL players, with a, with a few exceptions. And we decided we were going to make our own heist movie with these current NFL players. And uh, we had a good time. Enjoy. Here's Brett. Sometimes every once in a while, I'll look at an update on my phone and it'll just be some, it'd be like the dumbest headline that they'll do in sports. It's like this NFL player and his quarterback 
are they friends? This is like, well, and he was like, what? <laughs> is this TMZ? What are we doing here? There's too much. There's so much clickbait bullshit out there. Yeah. It's just like, it's so deliberately weird and perplexing that you want to click on it. Yeah, I know, right? They design it that way. What the fuck is this? Click. They're like, gotcha. Yeah. I yeah. even I even will be like, I know the express purpose of this is for me to click on this and I'm not going to be satisfied, but I'll still click on it. Yeah. Still do it. All yeah. that shit at the end of an article, you know, those yeah. that that stuff is the yeah. weirdest stuff. Yes. You'll yeah. never believe what this actor looks like now. <laughs> Some of it is slightly related to like whatever you were reading or or what. So so it's like, wait, could there be something interesting in that? Yeah. And then you go in and it's, no, it's Not just garbage. All. And it just keeps going and going. And the next thing you know, you've been looking at bidets for an hour, an hour and a half. It's kind of like the internet as a whole. You go yeah, on for 10 minutes of information and then you end up with five hours of bullshit. <laughs> Fucking crazy. So I say just, just stop the internet. Just quit. Quit it. Yeah, I agree. Get off the grid and go and be in the woods and chop wood all day. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Anything. So like, uh, it's just, I'm, I'm having a good time with it, but it's just some of the, some of these things I've, I've gotten, I'm just like, it's like, did he unfollow the team on social media? It was like, what? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> How'd he do in the game? Who That's all like, you know, let's, yeah, exactly. let's, uh, What's, what was the score? That used to be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, and you'd have to, you'd actually read the paper to like go through the box scores. That was me as a kid. <laughs> oh yeah, my favorite was the standings, the Major League Baseball standings or basketball standings. Those were the best. Yeah. The box office. <laughs> I, I, what's going on, man? How are you doing today, Brett? I'm hanging in there, guys. You know, it's it's. Um, I, I can't really complain, all things considered. Yeah, how's your quarantine life been going on? Uh... It's it's good. Um, it's different. You know, we, George, you know that my wife, Linda, and I live in Brooklyn, and we were out in L.A. for the premiere of All the Bright Places at the end of February, and then I was staying on to do some work, and I was like, why don't you stay? And we brought the our dog, which was like not really a plan, but we were like, why don't we just bring the dog and we'll figure it out. And so we were all out there at the end of February, the beginning of March, and that's when all the shit started going down and we started getting a sense like, oh, this could be bad. We were supposed to fly back to New York on a Friday or Saturday and I was like the day before, I was like, I don't think we should go back. Let's just chill for a bit. Let's rent a car. We'll drive up to your parents' place in Northern California and just chill for two weeks. We're still here. Yeah. Hopefully it's a comfortable situation because it, yeah, it's crazy to think that you were going to come back right when all this, you know. We figured as New Yorkers, it would not be good to, you know, we, we wouldn't be helping anyone by coming back. And so, and you know, like we wanted to be there like in the trenches as New Yorkers, but we also were like going back is not a responsible thing. We wouldn't have left if we were in New York, we just would but you know, we just would have, we wouldn't have run away or anything like that. We would have stuck it out. We'd still be there. But it, it hasn't made sense to go back. We got a friend staying in our apartment. We're just kind of, it just kind of worked out the way it worked out. And here's been great, minus the wildfires. You know, we had to evacuate for two weeks. And wow, our, really? My in-law's home was in danger. Everything's fine now. Today's actually the first day of like decent air quality in a month. Wow. It's just, it's been a weird, it's it 2020 
and people are like, oh, I can't wait for this year to be over. I'm like, this is a new norm, man. This is, yeah, this, that's this is not this is not a year. Yeah, those are people that are you kind know. of living in, you know, an oblivious. Yeah, just to world. give you a heads up, right? The only people we resented as New Yorkers who, not not you guys who were already gone when this happened, or the people who left there and were just like, all right, yeah, just go. Just get out of here. It was like, we don't need you. Yeah, <laughs> get out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, we've been missing it. But yeah. also that's you like, know? that's this media narrative that all these people like left New York and like New York is dead or whatever, some, whatever stupid bullshit clickbait essentially. But you know, we all know that I'm like the upper West side or like the West village in the summer, those areas are empty anyway, because yes. those people go to the Hamptons for the summer anyway. Yeah. The summer is the best time in New York because all the rich people leave. Because yes. we're not there. Yeah. Absolutely. It becomes, it becomes a playground again. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's some tourists, but it's it's so chill in the summer. It's my it's some of my favorite. You oh, know, the, the the nights are hot, and it's like it's fun, man. It's and a fun time to be in the city. There's and, so much going on. Right. All the restaurants that I want to eat at is yeah. like the times the place I want to go. To. All the bars I want to go to. Summertime is the times I want to go. You would never like exactly. You can get in. Yeah, Fall, get in. winter, yeah. spring. It's it's impossible. Like it's too. Everybody's there. So. I'll be, I'm really excited. I think we're going to come back at the beginning of next year. You know, like we're, we're hoping that maybe we can get a vaccine before then, or just like we feel safe. Like we just don't want to come back and it be a, you know, cause any issues and mandatory quarantine for two weeks and all that can be kind of gnarly in our apartment. <laughs> it's small. So we're, we're planning on coming back and we're planning on, you know, getting back into the groove and we miss the hell out of New York, man. And I can't wait. New York's going to come back stronger than ever oh yeah people who are fucking doubting new york can fuck off yeah that's nonsense like that i was telling dave before we came on so i've been in new york for 14 years which is how long i've been friends with you because we oddly enough we met because where i was at school in tennessee i didn't have any friends who who talked about books and movies and music and anything like that ever and i'm waiting tables one evening and i hear this couple Brett and his girlfriend at the time, who was now his wife, talking about all those things that I just desperately wanted to be friends with you guys. <laughs> we had just moved. We were, yeah, we're 15 years. I'm 15 years in what well, it was 15 years in March. Yeah. So 15 years in New York and managed to make it work. So that, that out there, I moved to LA, you know. So I was telling Dave, was, I think he had been, you were at Fred, fresh out of school. It was like, no, it was like you were really fresh out of school when you when you got to New York. Yeah, I, I went to LA for like five, six months and I was like, nah. And I and I moved to, I had family and friends in New York. And I was like, I was moved to Brooklyn and got a place in um, kind of on the edge of Carroll Gardens and Red Hook. And the rest is history. You know, it's, I, I just stayed there and then, and Linda moved up there and it was, it was cool, man. We're, we love Brooklyn. It's it's home, and um, you know we'll see if we can manage to stay there. You know it's just expensive, and it, there's not a lot of room. So we have we're we're debating that whole thing right now. I think right. all of us are. I'm also at 50, about to be at 15 years too. You know, and I think it's all it's that that whole thing of like don't leave or stay. It's like it's whatever you need to do. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's whatever you need to do. Especially whatever, yeah, however, servicing your lifestyle. You know, and if you want to have kids, you want to get more dogs, you know, you, it might not work out for you in New York. It's a it's a rich man's playground at the end of the day, yeah. which sucks. It shouldn't be, but it is. You know, if you yeah. want a three-bedroom apartment, you, you know, get ready. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been 
we're not, we don't have any solid plans to leave or anything like that, but we, I have family in Chicago and that's where I'm from. My, my fiance is from actually from Brooklyn, but we look at real estate everywhere, all over the world. And every single place, except for maybe like San Francisco is cheaper than New York. I mean, what you can get for like $300,000 in Chicago, you couldn't even It's crazy, get, right? Yeah. You couldn't get a box yeah. in New York. Like, you know. no, I mean, LA is pretty bad too, though. I'll get, yeah. I mean, they're in terms of, and obviously San Francisco, but who really wants to live in San Francisco? Honestly, not anymore. With, I don't uh, think you can. Dequanos, which is like that, we'd show up. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, yeah, we're I think <laughs> we're full. I think you, you barely live in Google? Oakland. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You live in Oakland. Which, yeah, like, I'm an A's fan, so I'd love yeah. to go see all the A's games. Yeah, I know? like the A's too. I love San Francisco as a as a whole, but uh, I've always wondered. At times I've been there, it's like I wonder where the people who serve me food live. I guess they live in Oakland. Yeah, they definitely don't yeah, live in San Francisco. Live there. They live in the quote-unquote Bay Area. Yeah, that's exactly. it. I figured that you had some Red Hook ties since uh, your movie Hearts Beat Loud is like very Red Hook. I appreciated yeah. that you was all shot in Red Hook, <laughs> you know, which is like some of, yeah. one of those things. And it wasn't exclusive uh, New York thing where you have to have lived in New York to get all the references, even though I did get some of them, <laughs> um, you know, but it was still enjoyable regardless, I thought, which is always nice to see. Yeah, I love Red Hook and I, and I make it a habit to walk over there, especially when the weather's nice I just walk whether I'm in we live in Park Slope now whether it's from Park Slope or from we used to live in Cobble Hill like I'll just walk over there and we'll hang out and we'll just like do the thing I I just love it over there I love Sunny's I love I mean getting to shoot at Sunny's was so cool and having Ted Danson be behind the bar at Sunny's it's like incredible it's a dream come true and so I, I love that neighborhood it's it's one of the few neighborhoods that's kind of kind of still itself you know yes 100 yeah, they're all they're all changing quite a bit but that one just has a certain personality that because there's no trains going to it because you know yes it's kind of it's still its own little you have to want to be there you have to want to be there we uh you have to really want to dive in your films and i watched heart speed loud this morning i was watching it last night and i i got a little too high and uh, you know when you get like uncomfortable and you're like fucking start squinting, you're like, you know what? Maybe I should shut this down. Uh, <laughs> I watched it. I watched it this morning. I got a bone to pick with you though. I'm a little pissed off because I, I mean, Dave, some of the guys, some of the people in this movie, like I know them personally. So it, it irked me to see Quincy hanging out with Tony Collette. I was like, what the fuck? That could have been me. Obviously, Tony Collette. One of the few people who's seen in her shoes more than five times. So I was He's like, the best, oh, man. Tony Collette? God damn it. Yeah. Quincy got a lucky day. He got to be, this is a friend of ours who's a great actor named Quincy Dunbaker. And Quincy got to be on set with Tony Collette, Nick Offerman, and Ted Danson. And I was like, awesome. dude, you're you're lucky. But, you know, it's fun because I try really hard to kind of cycle through, uh, you know, basically all of my friends are actors. My wife is an actor. So, you know. Uh, I try to cycle through every movie. I'm like, all right, who's going to get, who's going to get a bone on this one. And <laughs> that's a good way. I try. Yeah. I try. Can't make it's everybody hard. happy. It's yeah. Um, I try, I try as best I can. And I'm like, Oh, this will be good for this. And that, and, you know, I try to give people various things here and there. Yeah. Not the slurpy or nothing. Dave and I, we thoroughly enjoyed your, uh, your movies. One of the things that I was like, I got to kick out. Frank is wearing a DJ shadow introducing t-shirt and i was and i about fucking lost my shit in here this is this morning i was like oh get the fuck out (laughs) that was and i had that i had that made i had my costume designer make that because 
this is such a, an important album in my life. And I thought Frank would be the type of guy that would wear a shirt like that. So I, yeah, I, I was very proud of that little, little Easter egg or whatever you want to call it. Just, I love that album. It was like a defining album for me in my late teens, early twenties, big time. Yeah. I think in general, the music is really great. I texted George when I watched it a week ago or so saying that he was going to love it because there was so much indie music nerd stuff in there that I knew he was that some of the stuff was that was over my head too, that I was like, George's going to get all of this and really enjoy it. <laughs> oh, I mean like uh, yeah, it's, 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 Captain Badass, I got some Mac DeMarco, I got a Tweety song and I'm like, oh man, this is, this is. Yeah. I mean, better. you know, Jeff's in the fucking movie, yeah. which was the dream to have Tweety show up on set. That was my birthday. We shot that scene. Awesome. And Tweety signed like a deluxe vinyl of the whole love for me. Oh, nice. Said, like, nice. Happy yeah, it's dope. I've got it. You is know, that something where you and producers are like actually reaching out to Jeff Tweedy? You wrote that in there for him or how did that come, we knew, come out? Yeah, it, it's like Nick, Nick Offerman is friends with Jeff. That makes sense. And so he, he kind of called it in, you know, and I was like, you know, you know, Jeff Tweedy, <laughs> I was like, can you maybe call him and we can get into camp, you know, and it was super chill and fun and Jeff's such a nice guy and I'm such a huge fan. And so that was really fun. I mean, Nick, who, you know, really stepped up in a lot of ways to help. That movie was a really, really small film. And he really stepped up as a, as a producer and collaborator on that film to help us. For, you know, like he called up Ted, like he, like without Nick really kind of pulling some favors i don't we wouldn't have had that cast I don't yeah think, in, so. in those kind of small movies you really need that guy right because there isn't yeah there's this thing now of like george and i've been talking about this but you could expand upon it much more than we could about you know how there's your dirt cheap five million and or 10 million and under you know what today you would still call indie movies if they're not technically indie and then your huge you know 100 million dollar marvel movies they're not a lot of middle ground anymore I think streaming is changing it a little bit. I think Netflix is making those middle ground movies now, which is cool. And I think studios are starting to be like, we don't have to spend a hundred. We can spend maybe 50, you know, like I miss the like nineties studio movie. I miss the almost famous. I miss the goodwill hunting. Like I miss those types of movies. Where are those like adult, you know, like, just movies, like good, solid fucking studio movies that don't have to be this massive thing, like Few Good Men. What happened to those types of movies? They're rare. I think Netflix is starting to do a little bit more of that, that size. And I think like, I mean, I've been making movies, you know, under, Hearts Beat Loud is like a million bucks, wow. like maybe a, just over a million bucks. It's, it's it, was, it was really thin. Yeah. And all my movies were up till hearts beat loud and then the last two were netflix movies which i had a, i had more, i had more money but and I, t- I can tell you that a 10 million dollar movie is doesn't feel small comparatively to a 1 million dollar movie it, it feels a lot more comfortable you get more time you get more toys and you can probably see it in the films you can probably see the visual style go up because yeah. you get more it's all time i'm not somebody who's like let me keep doing this shot over and over and over again when i'm like i just need to get the performances so i kind of put my eggs in that basket and try really hard on those moves and then as you get more money you get more time you get more time and toys that's pretty much it and you get really really great crew people people who are like top but i loved all the crews i worked with i love the people who i was working with at the smaller level too 
Like I was never like, oh, the crew, like the crews, you don't have to work so hard to get those people, I yeah. guess, would probably be the difference. Yeah. You're well, like, yeah, we'll give you your sense. rate on. <laughs> That's it, you know? Yeah, that, so, that makes but sense. But I still always had great crews. I love the crew on Heartspeed Loud, the Brooklyn, New York crew. It was great. It was yeah. great. One of the things that Dave and I were talking about, we initially decided when we are going to have a guest, and we are going to have our first guest, and I was talking about you and music in films. And one of the things that both Dave and I have enjoyed was just the wealth of music in all your films. Just So I took some notes. So I watched The Hero, Lord Tanamo, How I Got the Memphis, which is one of my favorite songs ever recorded. House Raid by Augustus Pablo and Hearts Be Loud, which has got songs Okia, Mac DeMarco, Serious After Sex, Apocalypse. I love that song. And your last film, All Together Now, which has got boy genius in that Shirley Ellis open is just incredible. When you go to write these movies, are you already thinking about what songs and what kind of music you want to have in there? Or what? Yeah, I'm always thinking about music and I'm always, I've gotten really good after making six movies. I know how much music costs. Like, or have a pretty good sense. I'm like, oh, this is going to be this for the, each side of this or whatever. So I can kind of gauge it pretty well. And I, I make playlists, like mood playlists for every movie that I do. When I'm writing and when I'm in production and I'm always adding to it and thinking about it. And so I'll always, sometimes I'll write it in there. There's a great Wolf Alice song in All Together Now called Freezy. I wrote that yep. in. I was like, yeah, I, I can feel Freezy here. Like when we're in the Westphalia and we're driving with the kids and we're, and obviously Shirley Ellis, that was actually Mark Bash, my co-writer. That was his idea. Oh, really? I knew that song, but he really, we needed something that was like a classic, but that was fresh that you haven't heard a million times. And so I get Mark definitely came through on that one. But every song I handpick for okay. my movies, cool. I throw them in like, you can tell. Uh, in, all, in, all the, in all the bright places, I have Justice Smith's character, Finch, sing that Too Young to Burn by Sonny and the Sunsets. Like that, that was such a, I knew that that song was going to be like the song of the movie. And I added that and wrote it into the script and had Justice learn it. And I knew I was going to end the movie with that song. Like to me, that kind of stuff is so important. And it's just cool if people want to, they can, I do a director's playlist for every movie and they're all public. They're all on Spotify. They're kind of hard to find, but you can, you can find them. I call them like all the bright places, director's official playlist, I think mm -hmm. is what I call them. Cool. And it'll just have the songs from the movie. And then I'm working with Keegan DeWitt who writes these amazing songs and amazing that was scores. Something I wanted to add. Yeah. And Keegan did uh, All Together Now and Hearts Be Loud. And, and I love when people work with the same people over and over. This is my guy. We're going to do the next project together. So have you found that working yeah. together? You guys seem like you all enjoy, enjoy working together as well. Yeah, we love working together. I mean, Keegan has done all my movies. He's done my last five movies. And even even my first movie, The New Year, the $5,000 movie, like almost all the songs in the movie are his. And he just like gave them to me. He was like, yeah, you know, we were friendly. And he was like, here, just use this. And that kind of started the relationship. And then he started writing scores for me. And then you go back to Even I'll See You In My Dreams, there's an original song in that film that Martin Starr sings to Blythe Danner. He wrote that. There's a original song called The Hero and the Hero that's in the credits. He wrote that and sings that. Obviously, Hearts Beat Loud has, I think, four or five original songs. Keegan wrote all those, plus the score. All the Bright Places is an incredible score. It's, I think it's amazing. It's this, we did a live orchestra record at Capitol Records. It was a real big moment for Keegan and I. He killed that. And then again, in All Together Now, he wrote another original song that Ali Cravalho, who people might know as Mo, the voice of Moana, 
she sings the song in that film that he wrote. And now we're working on a bigger band movie that, and he's writing all the music and songs for that. Are you allowed to say, can you tell us? Yeah, it's for Netflix. It's called 36 Questions. It's a, I can't tell you, I can't tell you like what it really is, but I can tell you it's for Netflix and it's 36 Questions. It could be a lot of original music in it and he's doing it. That's interesting to know what you're currently working on. I also kind of wanted to know how you're, without, you know, getting into the specifics of that project, how your like day to day has changed with still trying to make a film during all this? Like, what are you, you guys, I'm assuming you haven't shot anything during this time. No, but people are shooting. I mean, if you have the resources, you can shoot and shoot safely. And it's been relatively doable. I finished altogether now remotely. I've finished altogether now like this, you know, on a computer over the internet, looking at various things and had all this equipment sent to me so I could do the color grading and do the sound mix. And it was different, but it was fine. Like I, I enjoyed it and we finished the movie and we finished the movie as well as we would have finished it in person. So it was cool to kind of experience that and see what that felt like. So that was a lot of my, a lot of my quarantine was that was just finishing this movie. And then I I'm writing this new movie right now. That's taking up a lot of my time. And then I actually got the biggest gig of my career. I'm directing the prequel to Greece to the musical Greece. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, thank you. It's very, very, very cool. And so I've been working and developing that with the producers and writers. So so that's been that plus this thing I'm writing. And then I'm just like kind of looking at other projects and developing things. You so know, that stuff hasn't changed that much. No, like honestly, I would be in this period regardless. That's the thing about filmmaking is you go in the phases of shooting, you know, pre-production and shooting and then post-production. And then you're back to the drawing board for development or writing. And then you're back, you know, and you try to keep this movement. And I've I've tried really hard to try to make a, a movie a year or approximately. But I think as movies get bigger and more things start happening, it's inevitable that, you know, you're going to need to now with COVID, it's there's even more time and, you know, are we going to go? Are movie theaters going to come back? It's a tough time. Like the demand is larger than ever for stuff. And I don't think that's ever, like people need movies. They need TV shows. They need content. So that's not going to go away. So I'm not super worried about us not making stuff. I think that the industry is going to keep making stuff. A lot of stuff. We'll figure yeah. it out. We'll make it safe. And we're doing that now. My concern right now but I, I'm hopeful is with theaters and, and I obviously have that concern for Broadway and I have it for music. I just want it all to come back. I obviously want it to come back safely, but I just hope those industries can maintain another, you know what, six, eight months till yeah. we can kind of get back to normal. Yeah. So I, I, I'm hopeful that we can get there. Like I'm dying to see Tenet, man. I can't yeah. see fucking Tenet. It's driving yeah. me nuts. No, uh, no drive-ins near you? <laughs> No, and I wouldn't want to see Tenet in a drive-in. I, I, I anyway, don't either. You know? yeah, I don't either. I mean, I want. I, I, I want to see. I want to see Tenet and IMAX in New York. Yeah, yeah plus Lincoln I mean, it's gonna be so goddamn. Man, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's funny. I was so I all the other notes on my mind. You shot that in Portland, correct? Yeah. One of my favorite things about it. It is very small. I love the fact that Amber works at a donut shop, which is probably the most Portland thing ever. <laughs> Did you, totally. When you were there, did you like? Did you just go ape shit of the donuts? And like, because I've been twice, and that's basically all anybody ever eats in Portland. It's fucking donuts. Voodoo Dude, donuts, insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't even By been the way, there, and I know the name of it. 
I mean, people know Voodoo Donuts. Locals will tell you not to go to Voodoo Donuts. Um, that that's just a local. That's a tourist spot, and they're like, "Yeah, it used to be good." You know, everyone's like a donut aficionado oh, yeah. there. That's, yeah, that's us too. Donuts and coffee, right? Stumptown started there. I love Stumptown. I'm addicted to Stumptown. I make my own Stumptown cold brew now. I'm a snob about it. Um, people are like, "You want an iced coffee?" I'm like, "No, I want a cold brew." <laughs> what do you, don't give me that shit. I'm a total snob about it now. I make it. I'm like, yeah, it's really. That's really annoying. So do I. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, so we're I'm very, I'm in the same boat. very into it. Very into it. Yeah. Well, Annie's Donuts is real, and it's like a, it's a, that's a little mom and pop place, and you know, yeah, it's it's totally real, and people love. They have a donut there called the Applejack. That's the famous donut there, and it's really good. And the thing is, when you're there and you're like surrounded by fucking donuts, trust me, you're like. And you have to just be like, what are you doing? Stop yeah. it. Like, yeah. don't keep eating donuts. I ate a donut that was so like fresh out of the fryer and hot and they just glazed it. And I was like, give it. And I put it and I like burned the back of my fucking throat because it was, you know, scalding hot as I ate it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the donut culture is real. And actually when I inherited that script and changed it, she did work she, or she was, there was something about donuts. There was just donuts were in it. And we were thinking about where to shoot this movie. And maybe subconsciously I was like, Portland? But I've always, I also just wanted to spend some time in Portland. I'd heard good things. I've been there, but not spent much time there. And I heard they have a great crew there. So I was like, Portland would be cool for this movie. So we it ended up working out logistically. We ended up getting a great crew there. And I, I really liked I really liked Portland. I loved the crew. I loved the crew and there were some great restaurants and I, I loved, I lived in this really nice house there. It was good times. I, Linda and I were actually just talking about my dog came, my wife came. It was, it was a good time. Yeah. I've, I've actually been twice. I, I did a couple of festivals there and now all, anybody I ever talked about there was like, you got to get the donuts at places and you got to go to the strip club. And I was like, you got to go to, I'm sorry, where is like, Oh, this one place has got great steak, Acropolis. So while you're yeah. in Portland, you don't have to answer, did you go to the strip clubs in Portland, Oregon? Of course, of course you got to check out the strip clubs in Portland. <laughs> what's, fun, what's fun about, about Portland is, is that, yeah, like all the bars have to have food. So, and that includes strip clubs. So ev- everywhere has got great food. And, the, and I think like Shrill was, I think had scenes like this where they're like, that's the vegan strip club and that's the steakhouse <laughs> strip club. So it's pretty, it's, it's pretty fun to, I, I personally am not eating at a strip club. I went to one strip club in Portland and I had a, it was fine. It was, you know, it's, it's a strip club's a strip club. It was, it was, it was fine. We, you know, had some yeah. drinks and, they handed out $2 bills instead of $1 bills, which I thought was really interesting. They don't give you $1 bills. They, it's very smart. They give I kind of like that, yeah. yeah. Like and that. you're like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, now you, you got you to gotta pony up if you're yeah. just sitting there. No, apparently, like, there's more strip clubs in Portland than any other city in America per square mile. Yeah, really? yeah and, and I'm not sure why that is. But yeah, that yes, seems that's weird to me. I mean, I've been to Portland a handful of times, and I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, there's some, like really old school classic places there. Like you'll see them in the Portlandia opening credits. I'm blanking on the name of it, but there's like, there's a few like that, that were around, have been around maybe are like the oldest in the country or whatever. So it's definitely part of the culture there. Portland's a, a pretty, pretty interesting place for sure. It, 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 it's still kind of gritty and gnarly. And I, I want to say the reason why it's like that is because that's from a hundred years ago. That was like a thing that they've always had. So to them, yeah. Sherpin is like, yeah, whatever. It's just a thing. Everybody else in the country. Yeah. Like, and I, yeah. And like, there's really kind of amazing 
you know, like very talented dance. It's a show. It isn't yeah. right. I don't know if you go to a strip club, maybe in Florida or something. This is like these yeah. these these people are really talented, and they yeah, do, it's a profession stuff. It's a show. It's like a it's a thing, and people go and it's it's a big part of that culture over there so it yeah. is like it's kind of like going to orlando this is a terrible uh, <laughs> going to orlando and not going to disney world like yeah yeah, yeah. it's just you yeah. gotta at least check it out once yeah. so oh no the one i went to the woman came out naked and she danced and she put her clothes on it was unbelievable yeah the, yeah man it's my, art yeah it's great it's great art <laughs> all right there, there you go there's our if any strip clubs in portland want to sponsor us yeah, shout out to Metropolis. <laughs> has got good steak. No bullshit. Well, uh, that that being said, I don't, how do you guys feel about doing this draft? Like, so we brought Brett on for a reason, everybody. And uh, Brett was like, "We'll give you like two minutes to talk about your New Orleans Saints and how you think the season's going to go." Go right ahead. Okay, I love the Saints so much. I was worried about Drew Brees' terrible comments earlier. I was very I was very upset about that whole thing, but I felt like he handled it really well and actually listened and it was a teachable moment. And I think that's really important for white men with all the privilege in the world who who rarely you know think about what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. Yes. And I think he he I don't think he meant it from a hateful place. I think he just was like, "Well, this is my, you know, me, my family and so I was upset and, but then I think he really did listen and he really did. It was a teachable moment and it was cool. So I'm like, I'm back on the Drew Brees train, which I'm happy to say. I love Drew Brees and I think he's got a good heart from what I can tell. And so look, I, I liked what I saw against Tampa Bay. I think that they are a complete team. They're a more complete team than most teams in the NFL in terms of offense and defense we made some really big defensive plays, like really fucking big, like game time, like change the, the defense won that game. The offense looks okay. You know, they look a little rusty. Kamara's like the center point. He's always going to be there. I think they should be doing more like dump offs to him, like just straight him running up the middle doesn't usually work. I've noticed Murray's pretty good up the middle, like stick with that, dump it off to Kamara. Yeah. Obviously, Michael Thomas being out, that sucks. He was obviously hurt. He, he did not have a good game, and I think it's because of his ankle sprain. Sanders, though, I hope we can get involved. And Jared Cook stepped up. I mean, Jared Cook was the biggest catch playmaker. So I'm a little bit nervous about the offense, very excited about the defense. think we're pretty balanced. Going up against a team like Packers, Seattle, the Rams – and then in the AFC, you're looking at like what it would be like against. I think we're playing Kansas City like towards the end of the season, and that'll be a game. That'll like a Kansas draft. City, Baltimore. Like I'd be really curious to see how the Saints stack up against those. But I think the Saints are a top five team. They're I think they're going to make the playoffs, and I think they've got a shot. It's just I think this is Drew's last year. Yeah. So I'm yeah. just really hopeful that he can. He deserves more ring. We've had so many fucking heartbreaks man i mean, I mean the he is minnesota miracle i mean i can't even begin the 49ers game when alex smith had like the greatest game of his i mean just terrible yeah. things have happened to the saint since we won the super bowl so yeah they've got they've got actually more I, playoff appearances than anyone in this decade without a actual super bowl win yeah i mean it's a uh, it's yeah. drew Brees' bad luck that he is a you know maybe a top five quarterback in history, but he's playing with two other 
two or three other top five, you know, he's playing in an era of unbelievable quarterback play and right. he's had to deal with Brady and Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers and all these guys, you know, they kind of yeah. like took turns. And I'll be curious if, yeah, I'll be curious if the Mahomes and Jackson's the new in the, in the Russell Wilson's the new breed of the NFL quarterback, which is really exciting. I love watching those guys play. They're incredible what they can do. They're not that old school Brady breeze, right. Favre, Rogers play you know uh manning they're this other type of play and it's really fun to see that transition in the nfl arguably a more exciting game when you've got a patrick mahomes under center but i'll be curious how drew's records you know he has all the records i mean he's he's one and brady's two but brady's got the rings and that is the goat shit that's the shit that everybody's like well you got to have the wins that's the michael jordan of it all Yes, you know, but I think who wins championships. I think those records will could possibly mean even more in the next ten years or so because it's what's impressive about him. I mean, everything is, but it's his longevity, right? Like he's he doesn't miss much time. He's been with essentially the same team. I know you know the draft stuff, but the whole time, and he's like Mister Consistency. I mean, that's why Brady was so good too, in that you could count on him pretty much every year. But, you know, I think that that's, I mean, especially these younger guys who carry the ball a lot where we might see, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's one of those things that like, oh, they carry the ball more, they run more this modern era, but also the really, truly upper echelon ones, they also can throw the hell out of the ball and they can stay in the pocket if they need to. And ha- they have presence and, you know, they, so, but like I said, I think taking a beating, I mean, we're seeing it with Cam Newton, it's going to add up. So I don't know if the longevity of like a Drew Brees or a Tom yeah. is going to be replicated going forward, but we'll see. So let me give you a sliding doors moment. Just imagine this for just a second. So when Drew Brees hurts his shoulder at San Diego, he has that year or half a year off of, off of football. San Diego cuts ties with him. They draft Phillip Rivers. So the two teams are looking for quarterbacks and head coaches. you got the new guy, Sean Payton in New Orleans, and you've got Nick Saban in Miami. And the story was... Nick Saban wanted Drew Brees, not Dante Culpepper. Drew Brees was like, not sold him going to Miami, goes to New Orleans. Dante Culpepper goes to Miami. Nick Saban lasts a year at the Dolphins, maybe two, winds up back at college at Alabama, and Sean Payton and Drew Brees become this, this whole thing. Now, can you imagine had that had gone the other way wow. where all these people would have landed? I don't know. And Saban, I didn't know that about Saban. That's really yeah. interesting. I yes, mean, you know, the, it's just the, funny that some right. guys coach can coach the NFL really well, and some guys can coach college really well. I think it's a slightly different skill set. It I is, yeah. I think I, it I is. Really got the, Saban got the hell out of Dodge. He's like, you know what? I think I'm good on this front. Went yeah, to like Alabama. In that I mean, so much in college sports is recruiting, right? It's like, yeah. you know, you come from the big program, you got the money behind you. That's where the top players are going to go. The strategy, there's certainly – is especially I would say in football more so like I think these basketball coaches get like so these college basketball coaches get so hyped up and really like all they do is throw money at players and then they get the best players like they're not actually yeah. that great at coaches which is why they it's don't. a weird system I'm not a huge I'm not a huge college football person so I don't have a team I don't follow it really I'm an NFL guy I, I enjoy the the state of the quality of play in the NFL is it's definitely a different, different, different kind of hang. And we, so we know that you're a huge, huge fantasy football guy. How did you do this weekend? Killed it. 
Did great. I'm in one league. I take it very seriously. Been in that league for, I think, 12 years or something like that. I've won three times, which is more one more than the next guy. Uh, so pretty good. Everybody thinks I'm going to suck every year, and every year I'm, I make the playoffs and <laughs> sometimes win. And I'm like the heel now. I'm the heel in this group because I keep – because I'm – I'll come back from like – nine and six or whatever and win the fucking thing like people are like god damn like people with like undefeated records and i'll beat them in the playoffs and they're just like what the fuck i'll do weird i take a lot of risks in my lineup and i take a lot of risks off the waiver wire so i'm i'm a little it's just paid off so far so we'll see i won i i was really happy with my draft and my team got uh picked up goder who i hope is going to be good. I got him off waivers. So that was kind of a weak spot in my team was tight end. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like maybe this guy, he seems like the guy over there now. All right. So we're going to, so we're we'll gonna see. see, we'll see how good you are because uh, we already know what we're drafting. <laughs> we're going to tell you honest. We're drafting our NFL players who, who would be the lead or who would star in our own heist movie. And seeing that you are our first guest, we're going to allow you to go first in our snake draft. So Brett, Who's your normal draft pick to, to play the lead in a heist movie in the NFL? Okay, and I just want to be cl- yes, and I just want to be clear that I would not draft this person first in a real <laughs> okay. fantasy football think- draft. Okay. Yes, I want to be clear about that. But you're asking me who's the lead of my heist movie? Yeah. Who's the person I want to watch? Fucking like lead the heist movie? Yeah, and I'm who's sorry. But it's fucking Drew Brees. <laughs> I wouldn't, I'm Drew not Brees argue. is the lead of my heist movie. It's a good heist movie because Drew, it's one last job. Hello, classic, classic trope. So yes. Drew fucking Brees is my number one. You're never gonna. He's my. He's he's my heart. So Drew Brees. I right, like hey, that. Number two. I like that. Yeah, that's interesting because you're talking about the veterans who, yeah, it's their one last, but I love that kind of heist movie where you know it's not going to go well <laughs> if it's your one last job. Yeah, you look, yeah, it's all the De Niro ones are like that. Yeah, yeah one more, one more job. <laughs> that's exactly what I was saying to George before this. So. I kind of agree with you. That's how I'm thinking about it too, is I want someone who's going to not go nuts when the shit is on the line. When the shit hits the fan, I want somebody who can react. So. You know, even though I'm not the biggest fan of his, I'm I'm going to go with Tom Brady. Tom Brady is my lead oh, in yeah. this movie because honestly, e- even if you hate the Patriots and you hate Tom Brady, in the fourth quarter with the game on the line, nobody. I mean, you could argue Drew Brees, you could maybe argue Rodgers, but there's nobody. Russell Wilson, sure, pretty great at that. But yeah, absolutely, yeah, man. But yeah, Brady. you couldn't Brady. Yeah, yeah. And Brady. I also like that, like old timer, like Brady is another one of these guys. It's been his last year, the last four years. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, so and he's like, winning fucking yeah. Super Bowls. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he keeps coming back. <laughs> so, all right, George, you're up. So for me, I'm going to go with a slightly different approach because I want a guy who's like, this isn't going to be his last job. He's going to like, I'm pulling off a heist here. And a few years down the road, we're going to pull off another heist. And maybe I'll get out of business after I've done a few more jobs. So give me Russell Wilson. 31 for 35 this past weekend, four touchdowns, hashtag let Russ cook. 
count me in. <laughs> my heist. He's unassuming. He's not going to say anything. He's not going to. He's like. It's like whenever you ask him questions, he's not going to give you the right answer. He's not even the wrong answer. He's going to be like, I don't know. Maybe I was here. Maybe I wasn't. He's like, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Keep it cool. Give me Russell Wilson. So Dude, seeing that's a great the pick. snake draft, I get the next pick, and then we that's go right. reverse order. So uh, I'm going to draft out of order because I don't want you guys taking my up-and-comer. So I'm going to draft my up-and-comer next. Give me Josh Jacobs, running back for the Las Vegas Raiders. Second-year guy. He was a, uh, was a rookie of the year last year, already setting the world on fire with two touchdowns in the first weekend. Give me Josh Jacobs. That's my guy. Love it. That's my up-and-comer. You're next, Ed. All right. I'm going to take – I'm also going to take my up-and-comer, actually. And right. I'm going to do something that is probably not a smart fantasy football draft idea, but honestly it might be. And I'm going to take Lamar Jackson. Oh, nice. <laughs> because, because if – your lead, if Tom Brady somehow uh, gets cold feet or uh, he gets arrested before the job, Lamar Jackson's going to come in and he's going to kill it. And he is exactly what we were talking about that modern era. I mean, you don't, he's so scary for defenses because you don't know if he's going to throw or, and certainly before he got in the league, was criticized for not being as good of a passer, maybe, but that's clearly been that's a fallacy. Case, yeah, yeah, it's clearly been bullshit. Yeah. So yeah, Lamar, I'm going with Lamar Jackson, number two. I got Brady and Lamar Jackson. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys left it wide open for me. I thought uh, this might be off the board, but I'm I'm going with my right-hand man. And a right-hand man in football is a running back. Best running back in football, Christian McCaffrey. Ooh. All day. You just won Talk about Drew Brees and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's hot. So that's my George Clooney, Brad Pitt, right there. <laughs> I like that. I don't even have to talk about CM. The dude is fucking ridiculous. On a fucking average team, makes them competitive in every game they play just yeah. because he's that good. I think every fantasy football nerd that's listening to this is having like a fucking conniption that like it <laughs> took like five or six picks to get to Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> yeah, what do you, what's wrong with you guys? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're building a heist movie. It's a- <laughs> So, Brett, I believe. Cool. Hey, look. Hey, I, I, all I'm saying is, I'm feeling really good about it right now. Yeah. Keep you going, please. I'm, the snake draft. So oh, I get to pick next. Oh man, this is up. so good. All right. So, my favorite up and comer right now, and he's actually on my current uh, fantasy team, is Clyde Edwards. Alaire, or CEH as we call him. I think this kid is the real deal. Kansas City is uh, just a hot offense. Andy Reid loves to run the ball. Anytime you've got, if you've got Kansas City's number one running back, you've got a great every week starter. CEH is my up and comer. Uh, like just a great, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of this kid. If he gets his goal line rushes down, Forget it. Guy's going to be 30 points every week. Yeah, he looks uh, super legit after that that first game. All right, so I got to draft my right-hand man. And, I mean, I'm going to go with probably, you know, one of Brett's guys and say Alvin Kamara. I mean, Alvin Kamara as your number two guy, I don't think you can go wrong with that. I mean, I think he's, what, the second or third highest rated fantasy player. He can do everything, run, catch. Has he even – did he – do I remember correctly that he's thrown a couple of passes maybe in a halfback option? Yeah, he's 
he he can do anything. He's I call him the million dollar smile. He I think he has a million dollar smile with those the girls he puts in. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Barra, man, he's 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 the best. I mean, I love I love watching him play. I awesome. I got to go see the first game Teddy Bridgewater played. It was in Seattle, and I was in Portland shooting all together now. And the producers got me tickets to go see the game. I was really bummed because Breeze had just gotten hurt. And I was like, I'm going to drive up to Seattle just to watch, you know, the Saints get spanked. And, dude, Bridgewater did played a great game, and it was Kamara just destroyed Seattle at home. It yeah. was incredible to watch in person. And it was pouring rain. We were, like, out in the rain. Just with, and we found these other Saints – Guys from New Orleans, it was so fun awesome. to just beat the hell out of the Seahawks, who are <laughs> tough to beat at home. Yeah. So that was and, – and it was just showed me I – mean, Kamara, just they could not stop the guy. Yeah. He's amazing. He, yeah, when he's on, he is amazing. All right, since yeah. Dave stole my sidekick pick, I got to go <laughs> another direction, and, and I'm going to give you a quick story. For some reason, I'm like, uh, because we're just, our draft is positionless, we can just drop whatever – and uh, I drafted a former baseball player in the first round. I'm going to draft a former baseball player in my third round. So give me Patrick Mahomes as my sidekick. What better way to learn from a guy than Russell Wilson and a Patrick Mahomes? So I wasn't expecting to draft him because I thought Alvin Kamara was still going to be in there, but it's okay. We know how to pivot in the George Gordon, in the draft board in George Gordon house. We know what we're doing here. And I'm going to give you on a quick side note. <laughs> the very next week, Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Two Gloves, after beating Seattle, played at home against Tampa Bay, a game that I was at in New Orleans because we were, Dave and I were there for our wedding of our friends and everybody left early. And I was like, I'm going to go in the fucking Saints game. And the crowd yelling Eddie was unbelievable. Yeah. It was unbelievable. So that's so my, good. that's my, uh, that's my little, my little story. Again, it being nothing, a crowd, nothing beats the dome. It, it was shaking. And uh, there was like the fact that people were yelling, Teddy, Teddy, it was, it blew my mind. He threw like five touchdown passes. It was unreal. <laughs> Yeah, it was an awesome game. It's so fun. <laughs> so, like, uh, so I'm the next pick in the, the snake draft, and I'm going to draft my demolitions guy because he's still on the board, and my man just got paid. So you know he's going to be out there wrecking shit. Give me George Kittle. I was own from the San Francisco 49ers with that terrible haircut. You know he's going to fuck some shit up. George Kittle was my, my demolitions guy. Give it to me, George. <laughs> all right so i yeah. gotta start filling out my crew my demolitions guy i am pissed at you george because <laughs> in in this total make-believe thing that we're doing you fucking stole my guy um <laughs> and uh george kittle but but uh I, my thinking was the same was the same that i want that tight end who goes in there and just knocks people out like you 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 have a you'll see a play and some of those guys they almost like blocking more than they like catching Oh, absolutely. Um, and this guy's another guy who's more known for his catching, but I'm going with Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is my demolitions guy. Talk about fast, strong, hands. I mean, that guy's a fucking beast. He's so, a beast. Yeah, Travis Kelsey. He's on my, my high squad. Today. Got paid this year. So, all right, Brett, yeah. you got next two. That's uh, defense and uh, your fence, your old guy. All right, so – for me, uh, I get – well, I don't have a demolitions guy, so I got to get my demolitions guy. Oh, that's right. And, um, yeah. And so, for me, I'm not going to go tight end. I'm going to go wide receiver here. And I'm going to go – I'm going to go with who I think is one of the most reliable guys out there. And I was so impressed with what I saw from him on a new team in Arizona. This Ooh. guy's unstoppable. 
DeAndre Hopkins is my demolitions guy <laughs> because every game he's blowing up. That dude is unstoppable. I mean, I always go back and forth. Is it Michael Thomas or DeAndre Hopkins who is the best in the league? And just what I saw from him with Kyler Murray, the guy caught like 13 passes or so. I mean, he's just – he's got glue on his hands. The guy can catch anything. So He's awesome. He's my guy. Uh, He's just picking it down. The 50-50 balls. He's an explosive. Yeah. Yeah. He's just explosive and he's incredible. So next up, you kind of described this as like kind of your crew, you know? And so like, and I find DST to be the most overrated position in fantasy. I fucking, like DST means nothing to me. And people who like draft DST early, I'm like, you're an idiot. You have no clue (laughs) what a DST is going to do. And most of the time... I don't even care when everybody's like, oh, they're going to get fucking blown out. I'm like, yeah, they could get blown out, but they could also get two picks and a, and a fumble and sack a bunch. Like they could still yeah. lose and still get points. I hate DST. I think it's the dumbest thing. Like I'm starting the Patriots this week against Seattle. Are, is, are they going to get scored on? Yeah, they're going to get scored on a ton. But can they, do they have playmaking potential? Yes. So I'm sticking with them. Uh, I'm not going to choose a DST for this because it's beneath this. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to like I'm going to I'm going to pick two wide receivers, two more guys that I want to fill in. I don't give a fuck the rules. I don't know what rule. I don't, I'm not. I'm just doing my own thing. There are no rules. So these are my guys that I want on the team, and who I want on the team are Robert Woods and Adam Thielen. Two just solid, dependable dudes. I don't have to worry about them. They're yeah. not super flashy. They get the job done. Yeah. Boom. They don't even need lines. They just need a task. No, they're just there. Yeah. It's getting it done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that so that that puts me up, and I I'm also gonna gonna bend the rules too, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fill out my I'm gonna start to fill out my team my crew guys. So with like a driver and, and I'm thinking about a reliability and I'm also going to take this opportunity to be a Chicago Homer and shout out a guy that needs to get fucking paid. And that's Allen Robinson, Allen Robinson, wide receiver, the bears, the bears offense is terrible and they're still debating whether or not to pay this guy. I mean, he's not your flashy Deandre Hopkins or, or doesn't have the speed of Stefan Diggs or, or anyone like that, but he, always makes the catch he's always going to make the catch and he's and he runs his routes are so good he's more than a possession he's not just he's really has the numbers and the talent to be a lead guy but he doesn't need you know 15 targets a game and he doesn't you know i i want him to drive to drive my vehicle he's going to help me get away you know who i like it's i love that pick i think robinson is a great player you know who else i like over at chicago's anthony miller i think he's got a lot of talent too we both love him george loves him being a for two reasons one being a memphis tiger and two being a former walk-on which yeah, is a soft, right. soft spot for george that's yeah. right <laughs> let me ask you guys now let me ask you real quick for some fantasy advice who would you start marvin jones jr in the flex marvin jones jr or anthony miller anthony miller because the bears are playing the giants <laughs> and their secondary is not good. I mean, and he 
played yeah. so well in the previous game that I would expect them to try to give him more touches. And if there's anything that the Giants are not good at, but the, because they got those two guys that got arrested this past year who were in the, the deepest of backfield, is like their safeties and corners are a joke. Not good. So, I don't know who is. Wait, does Martin right. Jones Jr. still play for Detroit? He plays for Detroit, and they're playing the Packers, and he historically has big games against the Packers, but That's Packers look good this year. Detroit looks a little soft. Who knows, though? Those games are usually – anytime it's divisional, I'm always like, anything could happen. Yeah. Divisional games are just weird. They're just – they're always weird. Yeah, yeah I mean, I if you were looking at quarterbacks – I'd maybe take Marvin Jones being a Bears fan. I'd probably rather have Matthew Stafford than Mr. Bisco. Yeah, Mitch Mitch is not I'm not the most reliable guy. Speaking I mean, of reliability. Yeah, I think he yeah. He's he's yeah, he's either gonna have a three touchdown game or he's gonna have a, just an awful three game. Picks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just an absolutely awful. Well, I, I get the next few picks and I want to make sure that like I like rules, so whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah. This is my game, and I want to the rules. So I'm dropping a defense, but I'm dropping this defense in between for two reasons. One is my favorite football team, and that is the Washington Football Club. But I'm dropping this defense because what they did last week with eight sacks, two interceptions. So shout-out to my man Montez Sweat, to my man Ryan Kerrigan, and to who's going to be the rookie of the year, my man Chase. So give me that Washington Football Club as my defense because we're about to fuck shit up. One and oh, baby, eight sacks last week. I like it. Right. And I liked what I, I liked what I saw. It was it was it was a bizarre game. I watched it from beginning to end. It was, this is the best, the worst game I've ever seen, followed by the best game I've ever seen in the span of 45 yeah. minutes. Really strange. I'm gonna go ahead and move this right along and draft my fence. My guy, that the reason why uh, that we all are in this heist movie, you set us the job. Give me Mike Tomlin. And the reason why I chose Mike oh, Tomlin, yeah. anybody that's ever seen that guy in a press conference. You'll walk through a fucking wall for that guy. So give me Mike Tomlin yeah. because he's the reason why I'm in this business to begin with anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're looking at a fence now, right? Ed. Somebody who's a facilitator. Not always, not always an older guy, right? Not always an older not guy. Not always, yeah. Oh man. All right. I'm gonna take a guy, like you said, Brett, you said you something that I, I agree with in that like Defense special teams is kind of stupid in fantasy and because it because it's so up and down. And also like the kicker position too, right? It's like if you draft the kicker, yeah. like, yeah. But unless unless you get the one guy, right? The one guy. And the I'm gonna guy. I'm gonna pick the one guy who I don't even think is in the league anymore, but I'm gonna pick him anyway, which is Sebastian Janikowski, because he would literally get you like 20 fantasy points a game, whereas like no other kicker would get you more than like three. And, and I, I know leagues where guys won the league because they had Sebastian Janikowski as their kicker. Also kind of wanted to pick uh, Christy Lloyd, who is a women's soccer player who, I don't know if you saw last year, she had a video that went viral that where she was at pra- a practice and she, uh, uh, an NFL practice and like kicked several kicks through, like straight through the uprights from like 40 yards away. And I, I watched her, and I'm like, she's probably better than half the kickers in the league. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so yeah. I'm picking Sebastian Janikowski, Chris, Christy Lloyd, <laughs> for my my fence. Love it. Yeah, we need a female kicker in the league, man. It's like, come on, it's it's time. Yeah. Well, I mean, have um, you seen some right, of these my, kickers? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's bad. They're bad. They're bad. Um, They're like you. They don't even belong on bad. the. 
the field, some of them. It's crazy what happens. Uh, all right, my my fence, the guy who who is is running the show, uh, the man behind the scenes. I'm sorry, it's obvious. And uh, come on now, it's Sean Payton, baby, all day. I get you know he's the man. I'm sorry, he's he's had some heartbreaks. Sean Payton is still the man. Great play caller, great coach. I'm a big fan of his, so he's definitely my fence. He's the guy. He's the guy behind the guy. So that's easy. Yeah. Your last George, pick. explain. Okay. Yeah, explain this last one to our listeners. Last so like, I, right, so I like every heist crazy. movie, every heist movie, you got to there's, there's there's a love interest in which you're like, you know what? I'm getting out of the business for this person. Now I thought it'd be fun to name a character from a movie, not the actress who plays her, or not the person who plays her, but the character that you're doing this heist movie and you're, you're, that you're doing this heist for and you're like, Hey, I, I'm just going to settle down with this character from a movie. So take your time with it because I already know what mine is. Mine and if is. it's, and if it's not fun, we'll cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, this did not take any effort for me to choose my character at all. My character with a bullet is Karen Cisco. <laughs> out of <the> sight. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, Played that's by Jennifer Lopez in one of her best roles. That movie is amazing. It's perfect. It's sexy. Karen Sisko is a badass. She is true to herself. She's awesome. And uh, 100%. She's, she, she, I wouldn't be doing anything for Karen Sisko, let me be clear. Yeah. She would be, you know, trying to arrest me while I'm trying to do <laughs> yeah. it. And that... And is, still falling in hot. love with you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, Karen Sisko, definitely. All right. Nice, nice draft. Nice draft. I love that. I love that movie, Out of Sight. I think it's wildly underrated. It, I think it's phenomenal. And she and that character, and you know, they had a TV show too with uh, I think it was Carla Gugino played. It was yeah. Yeah, Sisko. who I love too. Yeah, she's yeah. great. All right. Well, I I was thinking somewhat similarly in that, like, you know, these these heist movies, these love interests. A lot of them are throwaway characters and they're not like really actualized. They don't have, they exist in service of this male character. So I was thinking about it like you were, and I'm going to draft a, a group of characters, which is all four ladies from Set It Off. <laughs> because I'm taking the ladies from Set It Off, because when the men fuck up and they can't do the job, they're going to go in and fuck shit up and get away with the bag. Although... You know, spoiler alert for set it off. Things might not go great, but uh, eventually. <laughs> but they had to run. They had to run. So, uh, yeah, I'm taking the ladies from from set it off. Jada Pinkett Smith, Queen Latifah, Vivica Fox. And I'm forgetting the fourth person. She's not not as big as the other the other women. But but I'm taking those ladies. There's a spot for her somewhere. <laughs> set it off. All right. Good draft. Good draft. I had to think about this for about maybe a second and a half. And... <laughs> I know that like uh, I will risk life and limb and possible incarceration for natural from 25th hour, Rosario Dawson's character. Something about the way she's dancing and to Liquid Liquid's Cavern and that dance scene with Anna Paquin. I'm just like, I will, I will like, uh, like somebody says, hey, natural needs you to rob this bag. I'm like, where do we have fucking go? Well, how, how do I do this? I'm on board, count me in. Champagne for my real friends, real pay for my sham friends. Natural from the 25th hour. <laughs> Great pick. Great movie, too, man. I love that film. Yeah, love it. Too. Oh, good. 
that scene is incredible in the in yeah. the the club with the, the way, way blue lights. And, oh yeah. man, I actually yeah. watched it before I got in the call, y'all. Just to let y'all know. <laughs> I watched that scene in the movie before I got in the call. And you get the uh, the Spike Lee, uh, you know, character on the dolly shot with the yeah. camera of like the. It's blown out, yeah. and it plus that so that liquid liquid song, Cavern, that do 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 unbelievable. They also do a September. They do September by Earth, Wind, and Fire, but they do a remix of it. Yeah, which you can't get. I think they just did it like it's like a DJ like extended thing where Philip Seymour Hoffman's. It, it's so good. Yeah. That whole sequence is amazing. That movie is amazing. I remember seeing that in college and just being blown away. Blown yeah, away. Me too. Yeah, it always that up. scene in the bathroom of the where he's reading off and going through all the neighborhoods in New York with all the people is like that's. I, I love oh, yeah. how I love how in that movie it like when uh, whenever you see dancing in movies it doesn't look hot. It looks hot in that dance scene. Just like in her, and it's like the whole and you mean sweaty like yeah it's like it looks sweaty. It was like, yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I was like I'm I'm like I want to be in that that club. I want to be dancing natural. I want Anna Paquin to look at me weird, even though I know she's 17. I'm yeah, like, they're all sweating. <laughs> yeah, they're all they're all coming back, like just covered in sweat, which is yeah. how it is. Yeah, that's how it is. You know? Yeah, totally. All right, George. That's it. What a great draft. Uh, that was a good time. Did you have a good time? That's for you. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. great. Football, <laughs> movies, what? Is there anything? Football, movies, music. Is there anything better? I don't no. think so. No, well, I love that we were able to, you know, I love that you are such a big sports fan because you make very thoughtful, nuanced movies that have a lot of heart. And I think that there's like this stupid bullshit fallacy that George and I kind of talk about all the time of sports and art don't mix. And we all know that's total bullshit. But, you know, there's like this myopia of sports fans can only be this one thing. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. nice to talk to somebody who uh, is not like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love sports. And I, I love sports because, and I think I like football the most because there are stories there. These are stories. All these people, it's why I love hard knocks. The story, the the fight, there's so much humanity in yeah. sports. There's so much heartbreak and joy and just the narratives in sports are kind of what keeps me coming back. Yeah. And I think the NFL and football in general just has, I'm a Friday Night Lights guy, like that kind of spirit yeah. of like game of inches. And there's something about football that really narratively speaks to me. Yeah. I mean, I love basketball. I love baseball. I like hockey. I like sports, but the one that I come back to and I'm really, really into is, is, is NFL football. So yeah, I mean, it's a passion. I love fantasy football and um, that was super fun guys. I, I, uh, I love, I wish I could actually have that team. That'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. I wish we could actually make this heist movie with these NFL players. <laughs> They're probably not good actors. <laughs> oh, Drew is not a good actor. But by the way, now that we're here, the best, the best football actor, I'm going to go with uh, Peyton Manning, best football actor. He's good. He is good. I hate him so much, though. Those like, I hate his whole persona. And, like, <laughs> he's pretty good, though. Yeah, like, he is, his, he's he got that good. SNL sketch. Where he he's is. like mean to the kids and stuff. He's pretty. Yeah. He's he solid. Is. He's the best actor of the bunch. Oh yeah, he's I mean, better than Rogers. I agree. Who still did on the on the State Farm commercials? He's better than Breeze. Yeah. You know, Breeze is okay. I know the uh, Brady can't Mastercard. do it. No, he's terrible. Those Mastercard commercials with uh, with Peyton Manning from like ten years ago were so funny. Yeah, and like yeah. the Sports Center commercials. Comedic timing. 
He's really good. Can. He does have touch. He's very good. Yeah. Yeah. He's I the agree. best. He's he's the best football actor. Best, yeah. you know, I yeah. think I think LeBron's a pretty decent basketball actor. I do too. I mean, I thought he Not I bad. I was surprised by him in uh what's the the Amy Schumer? Train wreck. Yeah. yeah. I thought yeah. he was really good in that. Yeah. He was. He was good. Well, Brett, man, thanks again for uh, for doing our, our podcast. Yes, what, thank what, you very uh, much. You uh, you guys stay safe in California. Come back to Brooklyn soon. All right, guys, I appreciate it. My pleasure. It was really fun, and uh, we'll see you soon. See you soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Yep. Adios, guys. All righty. All right, that was a, a great conversation with Brett. We really, again, want to thank him for coming on. It it was uh, a real pleasure. George and him have a have a fun, friendly relationship that you heard a little bit about myself. We've just met and, you know, I find him a very pleasurable, fun guy to talk to. Good hang, as George would say. That's right. Good hang. Good Good hang, hang. bad hang. Yeah. So I want to encourage everybody again to look, look up Brett Haley and and watch his movies and give him some love there. I think, you know, especially in this time where a lot of things are are very depressing, his movies are are really entertaining and, and fun and they, without being sappy or corny, they make you feel good. And, you know, that's something to be valued. So what are you looking forward to, George? What are you looking for? You know, I was kind of all out on certain aspects of football, but, you know, at the end of the day, I thoroughly enjoyed watching football. So kind of looking forward to watching football again this week and watching the NBA. Is COVID has definitely, like, made everything seem to seem jumbled. So, like, on a, on a given day, for example, tonight, you've got a football game, you've got an NBA game, and this weekend, I've got college football, got NBA games to watch. So I'm looking forward to sitting in front of my television, getting high and watching watching sports. I mean, like, football's back. I thought the presentation would be off by not having a crowd. You, you, you're kind of, like, into it. It's like I watched that, that watching game. I can't remember the last time I watched a, a, a watching game front to back and was thoroughly enjoyed, even when we were getting our ass whipped. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to football and keep this thing going, man. Want to know Washington Football Club. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a whole new world. Yeah, football it's, is uh, <laughs> a, weird, a, a weird thing. I, I'm like partially looking forward to it and also kind of like, do we need this shit anymore? <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's that's me. I also root for a team that's not that great. I, I'm looking forward to basketball as well. Uh, of course, I said last week that uh, the Clippers were the best team and they were going to win. And then, of course, they're gone. So they're not the best team. And to much the surprise of not only myself, but many people who picked them. And I'm <laughs> George is making some really hilarious faces right now. I wish I could communicate what they were I'm a, I just a side note. I'm like a sick fuck. So I love watching comedians as a comedian not do well to watch the Clippers implode. I think a lot of comedians um, like Oh yeah, I think I, I, not do well. <laughs> other people are like, if I don't come, I'm like, oh, no. it's not me. So watching the Clippers implode in that fourth quarter was kind of fucking amazing. So. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they sure did. But I'm going to take this opportunity to ask you, George. So we have four teams left. The only team that anyone really predict, predicted winning a fight. Well, I guess Boston is probably some people's pick, but uh, is LA is the Lakers. And I think that their road got so much easier. Not that, let's not discredit the Nuggets. They gave a great performance. They look awesome. Nikola Jokic, that guy is is unbelievable. I was saying to you earlier that he reminds me of like a pre-NBA Arvita Sabonis that we've only seen like the grainy fucking footage from, you know, where the guy's like a seven-footer who's making like no-look passes with like the crazy precision of a fucking Jason Kidd. You know what I mean? But this guy's seven foot, 300 pounds. Um, but yeah, well, I'll ask you who you got. First of all, who you got in the finals? 
So, I mean, like, uh, I think it's a foregone conclusion with the, with the Lakers because I just don't think they have enough gas to sort of compete with Davis. But Denver, you mean? You don't think Denver has enough? Denver does, but I am going to be rooting for them. I know I called Jokic adult Vernon from Stand By Me in a tweet. No disrespect. Vernon's a great character. Jerry O'Connell. Jerry, Jerry O'Connell. He looks like adult Verno, but I'm still pulling for him. I don't love the supporting cast uh, that Craig and a couple of guys come off the bench. But my man, Will Barton, who went to the University of Memphis, former Conference USA player, who I think is going to be playing in the uh, the conference finals. That would so, make a huge difference for them. That could make a huge difference. Like, they just because they need bodies. They don't have another any body to throw on the perimeter and maybe yeah. take five minutes against LeBron. And so I'm pulling for Denver. Unfortunately, neither Miami or Boston have any University of Memphis ties, so it's not. I can't throw my hat in the ring too hard for that. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Boston because I just think I like wings and I like guys who can defend wing defenders and I really really like Tatum and I really like Jalen Brown and I kind of want to see Denver versus Boston uh, because I think Miami is going to be good even better next year I, so I, I yeah I agree I think Miami is kind of uh, ahead of schedule but they are, uh, they are, yeah but they're such a fun team but I also think that they're so well constructed because they've got these guys you know, they've got the Tyler Heroes and the Robinsons, and those guys are kind of your X factors because you don't know how they're going to perform. They're rookies. To your point, they're probably going to be better next year. They're going to be better next year, yeah. Um, but they also have guys like Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala. Those guys are like afterthoughts on their team, but yet in the playoffs, those guys are playing meaningful minutes and potentially can make a big difference. I mean, I like all these teams. I, I think you're right. I think Boston is probably the best team left. probably yeah yeah you know but as we saw i i still i still think the clippers are the best team i still think that they have the most individual and together talent they you can't you know that's being a little silly because you can't really say they're the best team if they lost but my point is the best team doesn't always win and i think boston is the best team but i'm not necessarily gonna say their win i think i think it's like wide open i mean i like i said i think the lakers path got so much easier i don't think I think Anthony Davis and LeBron, I mean, LeBron specifically, you know, this guy is one of the best players we've ever seen in the history of the world. The, one of the best athletes ever. What he's doing at age 35 is unbelievable. What he can do, it's unbelievable. And Anthony Davis as well. But it's a testament to how good those guys are and how bad the rest of the team is. Like the rest of the team is a bunch of role players that have never really done much of anything aside from Rajon Rondo, who honestly, his performance is, is going to, I think, could make the difference in this series because if he plays like we've seen him play in the playoffs, they are going to win, and they're going to win yeah, maybe, he's not maybe easily. He's like, he annoys me when he chases stats. I'm just like, Jesus. Yeah, well, he doesn't do that as much in the playoffs. He, he really he didn't have to, like, is so about he's wins. Playing, he's, not, he's not playing as, as many minutes as like uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. So, no, I, I enjoy him when he, he's, like, focused yeah. because he could be a real difference maker just oh, so, man. As, as long as arms are. His intensity right. and, like, his – yeah, when he's engaged in every play, that guy That's is – That's the word. That's the word I'm looking for. When he's engaged, like, he a can – great he's tough, player. He's tough to mess with. A great player. Well, uh, I want to finish up by saying the thing I'm looking forward to, probably talk about it a little bit more. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. But season four of Fargo. Season four of Fargo. Very excited for it. I think Fargo's very underrated show – the movie, of course, Corn Brothers is great, but the TV show on Vex by Noah How Howley, 
it's really good. The writing is amazing. We've kind of talked about season two before with Patrick Wilson. I think season two is one of the best seasons of television ever. I also think that season one is very good. I think that it took a few, ep- I think the first three or four episodes of the, of the series, it was kind of a carbon copy of the movie and it didn't kind of, it didn't really know like what it was going to be as a TV show. But after those first few episodes, it kind of found its own voice and became its own thing. And I think since then, it's really been one of the best shows on television and even the last season which maybe wasn't quite as good as the previous two ewan mcgregor was playing twins i thought it was really good and this new season the lead is chris rock and i'm really looking forward to it i think it's going to be really good there's already reports coming out early don't get too excited that it's supposed to be fucking incredible <laughs> i mean i i saw the trailer for it and i was like oh shit this new season is supposed to be out of control good that's awesome. That yeah. makes me even more excited. I, it's it's going to be another week or so. It's uh, yeah. it's gonna it's ten days. The twenty seventh is when. Ben Travers wrote an article. I think it was Ben Travers. He said, "I've seen the first four episodes." He's like Peter oh, Travers. Yeah. Peter, no, Ben, uh, ben is uh, the son. He oh. wrote Frank Yeah, yeah. In Ben Travers is, I think, I think it was Ben Travers. Only They're related. Him and Peter Travers. Yeah, yeah. Oh shit! Man, the business. He's like, what's in the business? Business got to be good. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm following dad's footsteps. He's like, what's he doing? He's like, oh, he fucking reviews movies. He's like, what are you gonna do? I'm fucking reviewing movies and TV shows. Yeah, like, if anyone I, wants to hire me or George to review movies, we can do I know. We yeah. <laughs> get excited. Okay. Yeah, no, it's the early reports coming out. The the people who have seen the first four episodes because they they, they gave it to the rags and all that stuff. It was like they said it was like, holy shit. Starts off slow, just like they're known for doing. But then like when it gets going, they're like, oh my God. That's is this how we're gonna get down this season. This house gonna get down. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh very excited. I I am uh, I, I I'm very I'm very much looking forward to to that Fargo season four. All right. Well, I feel I feel pretty good about that. Our first show with a guest. Yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, and you know Brett can have maybe have the distinction if we wake up tomorrow and we don't want to ever do this again. He'll be our only guest. <laughs> no, that's that's not going to happen. Um, we're we're going to keep doing this whether you want want us to or not. Um, <laughs> We're taking over, baby. It's like Rogan done. Know your roles. Taking it down. Yeah, fuck those guys anyway. Yeah, yeah, I was like, no, no. no." (laughs) Remember some new kids. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, another week. Know your roles. Yeah, man. Good time. Yeah. Stay safe and healthy. And uh, wear your fucking mask over your goddamn nose. That's what I wanted to (laughs) hear. I'm going to say every week. (laughs) Please continue. (laughs) All right, y'all. We're out. Peace. You know the world of the rough stuff. You know the world of the rough stuff.